Welcome to the Just Solutions podcast from Free Speech TV. I'm Maeve Conran, and this week, the Poor People's Campaign is calling on elected officials to make policies to fully address poverty and low wealth from the bottom up. The Moral March on Washington and to the Polls is a huge event held on June 18th, and it comes after months of organising and rallying in communities around the country. Angela Montalvo is an organiser with the Poor People's Campaign in Nebraska. She's a disabled army veteran and she's one of more than 32,000 vets in Nebraska with incomes of less than $35,000 a year. And she's sharing her story as part of the Poor People's Campaign Moral March on Washington. From Free Speech TV, Just Solutions. Well, you're the tri-chair of the Nebraska Poor People's Campaign. Why did you get involved with this? So I first got involved with the Poor People's Campaign because I am a disabled veteran that um, kind of deals with not getting any disability payments from the government. Um, It's just how my uh, discharge ended up. So I am, you know, kind of unable to work and um, living in poverty. My husband is a veteran as well. And I just kind of found this campaign that was really speaking to the issues that are important to me and so many people across the country. Well, one of the things that the Poor People's Campaign does is really focus on the intersectionality of so many issues from investing in our military or militarism, but also um, raising awareness about that, but also raising awareness about the the state of poverty right now in the country. And you're really at the intersection of that because you were in the military, but now you are finding yourself in poverty because you are yourself a disabled veteran. Um, Talk a little bit about the intersectionality of that because there are so many statistics of veterans themselves who subsequently end up in situations like yours. What is the reality for veterans right now, Angela? So in Nebraska, um, I am one of, you know, the the many disabled veterans living in Nebraska. We are about 25% of the Nebraska veteran population that um, are low-income veterans. And um, while my situation, I think, is kind of unique, um, it's definitely, you know, the, the poverty issue is definitely a problem for a lot of veterans and specifically disabled veterans. And poverty in Nebraska outside of the veteran community is huge. I know there are lots of statistics, I believe about a third of the people in the state of Nebraska are considered to be low income or living in poverty. Now, that's a huge amount of people, but it's also a huge voting block. And we're going to talk about what's happening with elections in just a moment. What does it mean to be low income or living in poverty in a state like Nebraska? So in a state like Nebraska, um, it's, uh, it's, it's very difficult to access so many things. I live in rural Nebraska, so I am really far from a city or any, I'm actually almost in Colorado um, where I live. I live in Western Nebraska. So it is really difficult for me to access anything at all. Even the Veterans uh, Administration hospitals and things like that are hours away. And, you know, when you're low income and can't really afford the gas to get there, that really makes things difficult. So yeah, specifically out where I live, it is just access to almost anything is, is nearly impossible. 
I think there's a real misconception about what poverty actually looks like and particularly what it looks like in rural areas, because so often we see images of poverty and low income folks. But we see that in an urban setting when we see images on TV or how it's portrayed in the media. But what you're describing is very much a rural situation, which is really quite different, you know, aside from you know the distance and trying to access services. I mean, what what are some of some of the other issues that folks in rural America, not just rural Nebraska, are facing and what? does poverty look like there when it comes to education, accessing services you mentioned there, but also food and and accessing infrastructure like broadband, which is so essential to so many people's work and education? You know, what are some of the other considerations when we're talking about how poverty plays out in a rural community? Right. So um, access to food is definitely um, a huge deal. We have... um, you know, like we have a good grocery store in our town, but it's very, you know, it's very expensive right now. So for people living in poverty, um, like my family is on SNAP and we receive that money for food, but it's not enough. You know, we get through part of the month on that money and that is just really not enough. You know, um, there's just so many things that, that are impacted by poverty. So you say you get through part of the month. What happens when you hit that limit of SNAP and you still have days to go before your SNAP benefits renew? I mean, what 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 does that look like? Right now, we uh, have some really great family members that help us out when we need it. Um, but yeah, that's that's kind of how we get by when we don't have enough to get by on our own. Yeah. You know, I I spoke earlier about how the Poor People's Campaign is really shining a spotlight on intersectionality. And it's how we as a country have focused on investing in militarism and not focused on investing in uh, in poverty and raising people out of poverty and also the connection then to environmental degradation. I mean, there is so much discussion when we talk about the military in this country around how it connects to patriotism, how it connects to us as as Americans. And yet we do not talk about the stories of what happens to veterans when they come home. And and you've described yourself, you're a disabled vet, your husband is a vet, and you're living in poverty and that you have to rely on family members to help feed your family when it comes to the end of the month, you know, before your SNAP benefits renew. How do we shift that conversation away from watching a movie like Top Gun that loads up the military and militarism in this country? And instead, how can we focus on the reality of what it means for folks like you who've served in in the military, in the U.S. Army, and then have come home and found yourself in this situation? What, What do we need to do as a society to shift that narrative? I think that we need to generally um, stop celebrating war and and militarism as a country. That is um, something that you're right, um, really links in with patriotism in this country. And um, it shouldn't. I think that we should really focus on the people, the individuals that have served their country. And then when they come back, they are not being taken care of by their government. My husband actually Um, went overseas, came back and used his GI Bill to go to college, and this year received um, a letter saying that there was an error (laughs) in that um, money that he received to go to college. And now we owe over $22,000 back to the government. So they're taking his disability pension that he receives um, to cover that. So we're actually not even receiving that at the moment. 
That's horrifying, Angela. You know, you've just uh, uh, described the situation where when you get to the end of the month, you have to rely on family members for food, essentially, because your benefits run out. And you've just found out that you have to pay money back to the government for your the education that was promised to your husband as, as a veteran. When you yes. get a letter like that, that ultimately derails your entire uh, economic reality. I mean, what does that do to a family like yours? Because I know you're not the only family who are in a situation, not necessarily an identical situation, but situations like this where you're literally living month to month. And so when you have something like this happen, it can completely derail everything. I mean, what does that mean now for your family? Oh, it means that we are, you know, struggling to pay bills, um, struggling to just, you know, pay for everything. We have had so many uh, utilities that have you know, gotten shut off. And we've again had to have family members help us get those turned back on. Um, it's just, it's, it's a lot. And yeah, like you said, just like the education was promised to us, you know, when we signed the contract, that was, that was the promise was that our education would be paid for. And now here we are um, not, you know, owing money for student loans, but owing money back to the, to the veteran or to the VA. Well, the Poor People's Campaign has, for the last several months, been rallying in communities like yours in Nebraska and various different states around the country ahead of a huge gathering in Washington on June 18th. And it's the Moral March on Washington, but it's also a march to the polls because in addition to showing the connection between militarism and poverty and environmental degradation, there's also a huge focus on what's happening when it comes to the polls. And I know in Nebraska, part of your work as the uh, tri-chair campaign um, leader of the Poor People's Campaign in Nebraska is raising awareness about some of these laws that are being passed in Nebraska to create more barriers for people for voting. So. Tell us about that, the voter ID law and some of the other concerns that you have when it comes to election access. Right. So um, in Nebraska right now, there is a petition gathering signatures that is almost certain to be added to the ballot this November. That is um, to add voter ID um, as a law in Nebraska. And that is just very, um, it's very discriminatory against poor people. It's difficult to access a, an ID, a state ID as a poor person where I live in the DMV is only open two days a week. Me and my husband struggle with really bad anxiety and going to sit in that crowded DMV area is just really triggering. There's often a conversation when there's debate around issues like voter ID laws. And on one side, the proponents of it say, well, this is just securing our elections. And of course, people should have identification if they're going to do something as important as cast a vote. What you're describing is that it's not as simple um, as it's made out to be when you're living in poverty, you have to pay for an ID where you maybe have to take time off or get childcare to go to the DMV. Or maybe as you've described, Angela, you're in a rural area where the DMV office isn't entirely accessible and has very limited hours. That then looks as a, a way then that we're excluding many, many voters. So I know that you have been speaking out about this particular effort to get this passed in Nebraska. What are you hearing from other folks about what having a voter ID law would mean in Nebraska? So um, many of the things that I really just described, but um, just just very difficult. First of all, on the um, wording of the petition, it's not even clear what kind of ID um, would be necessary. It just says a um, 
you know, accepted ID in the wording of the petition or something like that, I believe. So it's not even clear what you need, if it would be, a, you know, a state ID or if like student IDs would be acceptable. So um, yeah, getting an, getting access to a, you know, specific state ID, like I said, is just really difficult. You're listening to the Just Solutions podcast from Free Speech TV. We're speaking today with Angela Montalvo, who's an organizer with the Poor People's Campaign in Nebraska. She's a disabled army veteran, one of the more than 32,000 vets in Nebraska with incomes less than $35,000 a year. Angela says that we must fight poverty and not the poor. She's sharing her story as part of the Poor People's Campaign Moral March on Washington, and she's also raised awareness about efforts in the state of Nebraska to curb access to the ballot. Right now in Nebraska, there's an effort to get a proposed constitutional amendment on the November ballot that if passed, it would mean that people would have to present photo ID before they can vote. Angela Montalvo says this would impact poor people who can't afford a state ID, and particularly voters in rural areas where DMV offices are often inaccessible and have very restricted opening hours. You can find out more about the Poor People's Campaign and their moral march on Washington and to the polls at the website poorpeoplescampaign.org. And you can find out more about us and watch past episodes of Just Solutions at freespeech.org. Well, Angela, we've been talking about this event on June 18th. It's a massive gathering in Washington, D.C. Many folks will be sharing their very personal stories of living with all of these issues that we've outlined. You yourself are sharing your story about what your situation is. You know, how important is it that we hear these stories? Because so often it seems that when we're discussing policy around poverty or around militarism, We get lost in numbers, we get lost in statistics, but we don't necessarily hear the voices of people who are directly impacted. How important is it that we hear your voice and the many other people who are involved in the Poor People's Campaign? It's so important. You're right. I mean, the the numbers are important to kind of give you a representation of how many people are going through this. But but hearing each individual's personal story, none of them are the same, but so many people are living in similar situations across the country. Um, Through the campaign, I've met people from all 50 states and you know people are suffering all over the country and they are in different situations um but also sometimes very similar situations and it is important that we hear those stories and let the public hear those stories so that they understand the personal aspect of what is happening to the statistics that um, you mentioned And what are the very specific demands of the Poor People's Campaign? What is the rallying call that you are calling on elected officials to enact as a result of what's happening on June 18th, but also these many, many months of organizing and raising awareness? What are the very specific demands? So we are calling for a third reconstruction um, to address the needs of the 140 million people living in poverty in the United States. Um, we want, we're calling to address poverty, to address systemic racism, the military um, and war economy and ecological devastation. Um, so many intersecting issues, like you said, but um, really pushing for a third reconstruction in this country to address all of those issues together. 
And so this is calling for policy that will specifically address what we're talking about. I mean, there have been some efforts um, and maybe we could talk about how successful or maybe not successful they've been. But there have been efforts like during the COVID-19 pandemic where the child um, tax credit was extended and money was given directly to families. And there was research that showed that that made an absolutely huge impact, that that actually did lift people out of poverty. I mean, maybe talk about that, because when we see policy enacted, albeit on a short term basis, that actually makes a difference when it comes to poverty. It seems then that allowing this many people to live in poverty is essentially it's a political decision then, because there are policies that will make a difference. Absolutely. There is definitely a political decision. There are policies that could address this and they are just choosing not to do so. But um, yeah, sorry. What was what was the first well, part of we talked about some, some of the policies that we have seen, say, in response to the COVID-19 pandemic, oh, right. the extension of the child income tax credit that significantly yeah. impacted many families. I mean, maybe talk about some of those things and and for people who aren't living in low income or in poverty itself, who maybe have a little bit of a buffer, there's a there's maybe not an understanding of what it means to live so close to the edge. And so when you have even what seems like a relatively small amount being given directly to families, that can make a huge difference. I mean, you've described your own family situation, um, Angela. So, so talk a little bit about that, about how it's not even, we're not even talking about a huge amount, particularly when we compare it with how much money is being spent on the war economy, but how much even a small amount can make to, fa what a difference that can make to families like yours. Yeah, absolutely. So um, the child tax credit was incredibly helpful to my family. It helped us to get um, just necessities, um, things that we were really struggling to get, you know, just things for hygiene and cleaning and things like that, that um, sometimes are difficult to access if, you know, you're living on a very low income. So yeah, we were, we were really able to um, kind of stock up and get a lot of things uh, necessary to my family. And now that that is gone, we're running low on things like that. And yeah, when you just, when you are living on such a low income, it is difficult to, you know, you may not be able to get gas because you can't afford, um, can't afford it. So you can't go to wherever it is that you need to go. Um, I mentioned food, you know, when our SNAP money runs out, then we have to rely on family to help us. Um, there's just so many things that people don't really think about day to day because they might not have um, difficulty accessing them, but they're, everything, everything that you do throughout the day that costs money um, is a struggle for a poor person to access. And you mentioned earlier about the situation that your husband finds himself in. He's a veteran and he was promised to have his education paid for through the GI Bill. But you've recently gotten a letter saying, well, no, there was some administrative mistake. So now you owe us, I think, something like $20,000. When you get something like that, it completely derails you. But also the issue of student debt is massive as part of the Poor People's Campaign as well. And I know that as part of the uh, ongoing campaign that we've heard the voices of students talking about what it means to live in debt. If your husband had realized that he would have to pay or that he would be liable for more than $20,000 worth of student loans, 
I mean, what decision would have that would have made he made around education? Because when you're when you don't have access to resources and you're looking at taking on debt, I know so many people say I can't access education that could potentially help me and my family emerge out of poverty. I mean, that's a, such a limiting factor. Talk about the issue of student debt and the cost of education. Absolutely. So, yeah, my, my husband has said oh, many times since we received that letter that he he wishes that he had never joined at all because the, the promises were not held up. Um, I myself, uh, like I mentioned, I have pretty severe anxiety and I also suffer from chronic pain. So it took me a long time after I got out of the military to be able to feel well enough to go back to college. And in 2020, I was able to go back to college and I was um, going to get a linguistics degree. And I was about a year into college and I got a letter that my GI Bill benefits expired. And um, so I was not able to finish that degree, even though it was my disability that, um, you know, made it so that it was difficult for me to start school until later. Um, and really just having that amount of debt, I, I took on just a few student loans to try to continue. And then I ended up quitting because I just, I could not take on any more debt. And that is the case for so many people around the country that if you just don't have the the funds that you need to survive, there's no way that you can take on any sort of debt um, to further yourself in life. The Poor People's Campaign Moral March on Washington is also a march to the polls. That's part of the title of the event. And because of the power of this voting block, because there are millions and millions of people who are in a similar situation to yours, Angela, poverty and living in low income, living day to day. And these are people who are very often working. Wages aren't keeping up with inflation and people get trapped in this cycle of poverty. But the march to the polls, I want to talk about that. You spoke a little bit about what's happening in Nebraska with a voter ID law. Signatures being gathered right now for a constitutional amendment. We have discussed this many, many times on Free Speech TV about efforts to create barriers for people to vote. There's a massive power in the voting block. If you just look at the numbers of people who are impacted by all of these issues that we're talking about, all of the issues that the Poor People's Campaign address. I mean, we're talking about at least a third of voters in Nebraska. So how do we rally people? How do folks like the Poor People's Campaign, organizers like yourself, rally that voting block to pass laws that would actually benefit people in who are living in poverty because we're not seeing those laws being passed. We're not seeing policies being passed. So, so what's the political element of this? So I think that it is super important to try to get politicians who speak to the issues of the 140 million poor people in this country. A lot of people do not vote because they don't feel that they are being spoken to, that the politicians are in any way going to help them. And I think it is really important that those people feel that they are heard and go out and vote and then continue as we are to push the politicians towards the things that will help people in poverty. We're in a time right now where we're seeing primaries already happening. And of course, we're going to have a big midterm election coming up later this year. So for people listening now, how do we keep that conversation away from the very divisive rhetoric that really seeks to, to divide people, but to keep politicians on point about 
what they're going to do about poverty, about militarism, about environmental degradation. What does everybody watching and listening now need to pay attention to when it comes to the primaries and when it comes to the midterm elections? How do we keep that conversation on point? Well, I think it's really important to, to continue to make it clear that the people are, um, they want to hear about these issues. These are the things that are important to them. And, you know, to, to get our vote, to get our support, they need to focus on these issues. Like, it is really important that we don't focus so much on, you know, division and actually work on coming together and trying to keep the politicians aware that these are the issues that we that we care about and these are what is important to us. Now, you're in a state that is very conservative. You're in Nebraska, that there will be a lot of focus on some of these other issues. How do you, when you're out and about talking to folks in Nebraska, talking about these issues, poverty, militarism, and and how so many people are impacted, how do you start those conversations and get past some of those politically divisive mechanisms that I think are, are put out there to stop us talking about what essentially unites us? So I try to talk to people about, you know, issues that we have in common, things that affect so many people that are living in poverty, like access to water, access to food. Um, just it's so many important issues that when you really talk to people, they they do agree with you on. Um, it's just, you know, they're kind of divided politically. But when you really sit down and talk to people about the the issues affecting them, you find out that they are very much living in similar conditions as as you. What do you ultimately hope will come out of these big events happening June 18th, the march, the moral march on Washington, D.C. and to the polls? So I am really hopeful that we uh, will make it clear that, that these are the things that the people care about. These are the things that the people want. Um, we are really trying to push for a meeting with President Biden as he spoke to us um, when he was a candidate and, you know, kind of promised to address these issues and has not done that yet. So, um, yeah, we would just want to make it very, very clear that these are the things that are important to us. And we want to make it clear that the, the politicians and the people running need to speak to the people living in poverty, to the, you know, the over 140 million people in this country that are poor and low income and, and know that their issues are heard. Well, Angela, thank you so much for being our guest on Just Solutions. And I know your work will continue beyond June 18th and the season that we are in. Aside from the voter ID law in Nebraska, all of the issues raised by the Poor People's Campaign, what are some of the issues that you think the wider public needs to know about rural America and states like Nebraska? Because we don't often hear your stories out there in in the mainstream. Right. So I think it's really important to um, focus on, in Nebraska, I'm really trying to unite the rural part of the state with the urban part of the state in Omaha because we do share so many issues. And so I'm really just trying to focus on, um, you know, uniting people and, and really focusing on the things we have in common. Like, and in the state of Nebraska, I think probably the biggest issue that we have, or one of the biggest, we have many, um, but our, our incarceration system is, is terrible. We have about 48% of the people that are in prison are people of color. And that's just completely disproportionate to our population and our prisons are overcrowded. And it's just, it's, it's, 
just a horrible situation. And I think that that is something that um, people don't hear enough about in Nebraska. Angela Montalvo is an organizer with the Poor People's Campaign in Nebraska. She's a disabled army veteran. Angela shares her story as part of the Poor People's Campaign Moral March on Washington and to the polls. You can find out more about their June 18th event and watch videos of it and watch past videos of previous rallies at their website, poorpeoplescampaign.org. Poor People's Low Wage Assembly and Moral March on Washington, D.C., June 18, 2022. And we need to do it with the biggest actions possible. Because we know the only scarcity is the moral will to do what's right. Veterans across this nation say enough is enough. My voice is just as valuable as anyone else's. We need the third reconstruction. We have an immoral system run by immoral people. But together we fight and we become an agent of change. We're rising up to demonstrate. You've been listening to the Just Solutions podcast from Free Speech TV. Find out more information at freespeech.org. Engage with us on social media. Drop us a comment. Hashtag Just Solutions at Free Speech. I'm Maeve Conran. Thanks for listening.